Can people change, really change? Perhaps we think that superficially there could be a makeover, a few cosmetic alterations. But what about an abiding shift for good in the core of a person? Do we believe in that kind of change? Mark chapter 5 gives us such a picture. In the beginning, we meet a man who is described like this, verse 2. When Jesus got out of the boat, he's just crossed over uh, the the, the storm-tossed sea. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out, and cut himself with stones. You know, we'll be tempted to consider this man as a different species to the rest of us. But Mark presents this as an extreme example of the human condition that is common to us all. The phrase, no one could bind him, is meant to remind us of the Lord's saying just two chapters earlier. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus had said, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. See, the strong man is Satan. His goods are us, the human race. And Jesus has come to ransom us from our captivity, to be the strongest man and to release us from being bound by Satan. So what we see in Mark chapter 5 is a dramatic example of the need that we all have for rescue from Satan's clutches. In the words of Ephesians chapter 2, we all naturally gratify the cravings of our flesh. In this way, we are all by nature under the power of the devil. We think we're just doing whatever we want to do. Actually, we are following the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. See Ephesians chapter 2 for more on this. In addition to this spiritual captivity, we are all walking through the valley of the shadow of death. When you think about it, every resident of planet Earth makes their home among the tombs. That's just where we live. So here we are, under the power of death and the devil, and let's face it, we all harm ourselves in all sorts of ways, just as Legion does. You know, Has anyone sabotaged your own happiness and success better than you have? Exactly. We all have a lot more in common with this man than we would like to admit. This man is certainly an extreme, but he's not an alien. Our struggles are reflected and magnified in his. Therefore, Christ's victory over these powers will give us hope. If Jesus can bring peace and order to his life, he can do it to any life. Mark chapter 5 presents the whole encounter as a battle scene. First, there is this sea crossing in which the wind and the waves, the forces of chaos, rise up to halt Jesus' progress. And then there's the, the beach landing, and then the man who looks like he will oppose them is called legion, which is a military term for thousands of soldiers. It looks as though there's going to be this almighty battle, but it's a woeful mismatch. From verse 6, when legion saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. When it comes down to it, the powers opposing Jesus do not fight him, but worship him. That is, they, they prostrate themselves before him. Verse 9, Jesus asks him, What is your name? And he answers, My name is Legion, for we are many. This legion of unclean spirits is no match for Jesus, the strongest man. Just as Jesus had commanded the wind and the waves, now he commands these evil forces. They beg Jesus to be sent into some nearby pigs, 
Unclean spirits seek unclean animals. And when Jesus grants their request, we see the self-destructive power of evil laid bare. Verse 13, the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Just minutes ago, this sea looked like it would kill Jesus. Now it's the watery grave of this army of demons. The sea is a picture of the abyss, the abyss where the demons and Satan himself will face their ultimate doom. And here they run headlong into it. They are hell-bent. And their effect on all whom they influence is that self-same destructive death wish. But now that Legion is free, what is the result? Well, verse 15 is striking. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. There are three Greek words in the original. Seated, clothed, sane. What a wonderful conversion. And how does Jesus affect it? You know, he doesn't boil up a secret potion or wave a magic wand. He doesn't circle around the man nine times, sprinkling the blood of a hamster or something. There's no holy water, no incantations, no hocus pocus. He just commands, come out of the man. And they come out. The Bible never describes lengthy battles with evil spirits. In the Bible, no one ever goes on search and destroy ghost-busting missions. As the gospel goes out, people do encounter these extreme manifestations. And it does seem to happen when frontiers are being crossed. Here, as Jesus crosses over into Gentile territory, there is a turf war, so to speak. When the gospel comes to a new place, there do seem to be these flare-ups of evil. We can see that in the book of Acts, and we can see it in modern missionary settings. But in the Bible, the way that people deal with these, de the, these demonic flare-ups is not with a series of rituals, but simply with words, with prayer. Either Jesus calls them out with a sentence, or people pray a sentence in the name of Jesus, and that's it. It's not about conjuring or, or cajoling the powers. It's simply a demonstration of Jesus' power. And the world is terrified. When the villagers see Legion in his right mind, verse 15, they were afraid. In a sense, this is very understandable. Jesus has just proved himself the strongest man. He is mightier than a tornado. He can tame the wild man. He can command demons, for goodness sakes. And so they're terrified of him. They, they beg Jesus to leave. Here we see that the crowds aren't very different to the demons. The madness of those hell-bent spirits finds an echo in the madness of people who pray for Jesus to leave. They would rather be left to their enslaving powers than to invite the presence of the liberator. Devils aren't just a problem for Legion. There is a crazed obstinacy even to normal folk. See, we, we would rather do without the power of Jesus. Instead, we are ruled by forces that are determined to destroy us. And then we ask Jesus to leave? It's madness, isn't it? Interestingly, Jesus grants their requests and he starts to go. If you don't want Jesus, fine, he goes. At that point, Legion makes a request of his own. He wants to join Jesus. And you would expect Jesus to grant his request. He's granted the request of the demons. He's granted the request of the mob. But when Legion asks to go with Jesus, Jesus responds in verse 19. Uh, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus here commissions the craziest man in the region to be an evangelist. Why? Because he is to tell of the mercy of the Lord. 
His story is not the story of a man who pulled it all together and turned things around. It's the story of a helpless, hellish victim conquered by omnipotent mercy. That's the story of Legion. And so Legion goes and and verse 20, he went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. What a story of change. First possessed, then placid, and then preacher. You know, no one is a lost cause for Jesus. Jesus.